The other day I was talking to Jacob. He'd been at the doctors for a small inconvenience and we were talking about the amount of information that healthcare providers needed in order to treat even this minor ailment. We got into thinking about how, over a lifetime, how much information about a patient is actually collected in order to just keep track of everything. That also opens up for a whole lot of opportunities when it comes to automation. Can we use all of this information in order to improve the life of everyone seeking out medical aid of any sort? We decided to call up Anastasia and Peter, a digital care platform for SIBA, to get their insights into what can be done and what is difficult around using AI and automation to improve the experience for both patients and those working in healthcare. I'm working today as product innovation manager in, uh, at Visiba. Uh, I have uh, close to 10 years now experience uh, in uh, innovation and uh, yeah, digital. I, I have been also on the side driving a couple of my own projects uh, with uh, yeah, creating a, comp- a company or a startup initiative around a medical device. Uh, so it's the, the medical field has been early in the focus for me. My name is uh, Peter Tyroholt. I've been working a little bit over 20 years in the interface between technology and value creation. Four years ago, I joined uh, Visiba Care, which is uh, the founders came from the patient side. So it was more like, can you, why can't you Skype with... Uh, Healthcare 2014 developed into what we call a virtual uh, care platform, which actually tried to uh, streamline and help uh, large healthcare organizations uh, uh, interact digitally with uh, patients. We knew that Faceba were using AI in their applications. We wanted to know more about that. How are you using AI and what does that mean? AI uh, using using for automating some tasks. Uh, that's uh, one product that we have uh, that is called Red Robin. Using AI technology at its core, uh, the tool can imitate the way how the doctors and nurses are usually taking anamnesis with the patient. That already chooses dynamically on the way based on the uh, patient's initial complaints and co- uh, consequent answers. Uh, what kind of next question uh, it will ask. I'm just going to take the opportunity to break in here. For anyone not accustomed to healthcare lingo, an anamnesis is a patient's account of their medical history. So in the past, this was a doctor or nurse asking questions and writing down the answers on a notepad to document what type of medicine a patient is on and how they're feeling. But I'll let Anastasia get back to that. So the big difference with other uh, tools on the market, on Swedish market, uh, uh, is that we are not following some predefined questioning structure uh, of the patient. We rather have created the medical core that understands the uh, relationships between symptoms, uh, risk factors, and uh, potential conditions, diagnosis that patient can have. And based on on that, already chooses dynamically on the way based on the uh, patient's initial complaints and uh, consequent answers, uh, what kind of next question uh, it will ask. Uh, We're then interpreting those answers uh, and using it as decision-making support for healthcare professionals. What are the benefits that we're hoping to see by automating this? What will the difference be for the user? Today, if you're not using a tool like ours, 
uh, you call uh, to a phone number uh, and depending on country it could be like this that uh, you call and the first one calling get first serve so you have an algorithm that is first in first out uh, and what we are enabling is that you actually get a list which is in urgency level medically uh, which is quite a big difference. Uh, take UK, for example. There, actually, if you're calling after a certain time in the morning, the times for the day is out. So you don't know if you have served the most urgent cases. You just know that you have served the cases calling in first. There, there is a big um, challenge uh, today or has been for a while um, the incoming flow every Monday morning. In Sweden, for example, you have uh, experienced nurses sitting just handling and trying to sort the incoming flow. Uh, so it, it's a big problem today when you see that you have uh, less and less resources to handle more and more demand. So why having uh, a human filter trying to sort what, what who should take care of which uh, case. In summary, we have a problem today that some healthcare providers are using experienced nurses to just answer the phone. And in most cases, the patient's need isn't urgent enough to warrant that level of attention. So that is something we can solve using AI and automation. From the patient's perspective, it's great if we don't have to wait in line. We can get sorted according to the urgency level. But that still leaves the question, why machine learning and AI? Aren't there simpler ways to automate decision flows like anamnesis? Uh, what we did first was that uh, there are uh, decision supports on the market which uh, nurses are using. So we started looking a tree structure from that and trying to automate it. Um, and we did quickly a proof of concept. We quickly realized that uh, this wouldn't be good enough. Uh, we wouldn't solve the patient's problems and we wouldn't solve the healthcare professional or the clinic's problems. Uh, so we needed to rethink how could we do it. There is another like aspect that I wanted to add also to, to the original choice and the um yeah, the consequences for today for us, that's the actual, like, the maintenance part of the whole solution. I think in very early discussions, it was also in the picture already then that, like, well, decision-making trees, really good control over them and transparency, but, but <laughs> being able to make it super uh, individualized and very, very good, like, with patient centricity in 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 the picture where the whole healthcare is moving towards uh that would require a really uh a solution that would require from us exponentially growing number of resources to maintain that so just building on, on that like you're giving a flavor there of how you've gone from concept to something that's used in the field can you just maybe give us a quick flavor of the different stages that you've gone through um taking from initial concept through to something that's actually being used by people yeah so there was the the initial idea uh in in the healthcare field that's uh very special like because you are most probably when you are in the in the interface with the patient you are uh getting into the field of um, uh, medical devices 
so before you can commercially release, you need to have some sort of um, confidence and some sort of uh, data uh, that you validated that there is a certain level of uh, patient safety and performance uh, all relative to like the risk that you are taking. So our journey started in that early concept that we we, uh, we tried out. And then we started to expand it um, to the next level of functionality. But uh, we've set quite aggressive deadlines on ourselves in uh, how fast we need to actually get out to the real settings and start testing them. And I think uh, it was not more than six, nine months from that initial prototype to the actually sharp pilot pilots in the controlled environments in real life settings with the next level of of the tool that was already tested by patients and feedback uh, on by uh, healthcare professionals. Peter, if you were to go back, be able to go back in time and speak to the the people who were going to embark on this initiative Mm. and flag some of the things to look out for that may be unexpected problems that you met along the way, what were some of the things that you the challenges that you met going from concept to something gradually really expand. The the thing is that uh, the initiative uh, did uh, many things right. That we uh, had a separate team um, uh, uh, initially. Uh, we made sure that we early on were out and doing uh, pilots, and then gradually. Uh, increase the pilots. What uh, uh, Anastasia didn't mention is that uh, when we said that we had digital pilots in our current flows, then we started with just one reason for visit. So uh, we started with uh, the least dangerous reason why the patient is there uh, and only used it for collecting the medical history or the anamnesis, and then gradually expanded to more and more recent for visit why the patient was there. So in many instances that uh, were done really well. Uh, I think uh, we could have uh, in the organization be better to communicate why we had it as a separate team initially, uh, and maybe we should do should have done the uh, integration into standard uh, product development earlier. Uh, uh, doing it again, uh, we should have uh, uh, been even more uh, on our customers to do joint research. We have a number of customers that uh, have done research, but I think uh, we would have benefited uh, from having more of that. Uh, other things that uh, I think often is missing uh, when you talk automation, you often talk about technology, but one of the biggest possible automations in um, healthcare is actually letting patients do more themselves. Uh, think about uh, how much you, we are doing today within banking uh, as consumers, and we are so satisfied because we have control, but you are not there at all within healthcare today. You can actually move, not to all patients, of course, but to the vast majority of patients, you can move a lot of the tasks to the patients. And we have many examples of when healthcare organizations dare to do that, and when they shift their mindset, they can often save 
50, 60, 70 percent of their resource time. Uh, and we really did see this within um, uh, the pandemic now. Just think about um, letting the patients take the test themselves and send it in. It was impossible to imagine before the pandemic forced healthcare to offer it. So uh, th there is so much to do to automate the whole process of an episode um, uh, within healthcare. Yeah, and uh, all the like we know that all, all the development of all the smart solutions it requires a lot of data, and it's not just requires a lot of data; it requires a lot of structured data, um, and to structure data is a lot of work. To structure a lot of data is a lot of work. So you have basically the several like ways to to go. You can use the technology to to like structure semi-automatically, automatically your big chunks of data. But you also can do the pathway that this Peter Peter is describing that you actually can uh, put over the structuring of data on someone who actually is willing to do that. Who is the patient? Uh, if we are looking at like the existing flows uh, in the healthcare, it's it's fascinating how much is still done on paper. Uh, sending out the forms to the patients, uh, patient fills in <laughs> the form, then it comes into healthcare by post. That comes in in Sweden every other day, as you know, and then they will have to either do the work of inputting the structured data themselves, which they don't do, or scanning it in, putting time on that and attaching it as an image in the, uh, in the system, e uh, electronic health record, where then you will need to put extra time and effort to process these images to extract data. How many unnecessary steps are there that we can automate? So I, I think uh, looking both to our product and healthcare in general, I, I think uh, there should be more, more focus on reinventing the process or the flow. Uh, and part of the reinventing um, re is using technology. Part is just that uh, uh, doing it differently. So you don't, uh, sometimes it, it, in healthcare, it's a feeling of control. We must, must control everything. So they, they force the patient to be quite passive in their own care. Uh, but uh, because there are 5% or 10% of the patient that can't be active. So instead of optimizing for the ones that can't be active, optimize for the ones that can be and treat the ones that can't be active in a different way. I know uh, a couple of years ago, I listened to a seminar uh, in Almedalen. Uh, it was Skatteverket, uh, who, um, the, how do you say, tax authority in Sweden. Uh, and I think they get uh, like 90% of their taxes digitally today. And uh, they got the question, uh, they, talk, they, they were middle of this transition and they got the question, but what about the people that can't do the taxes digitally? And yeah, uh, they quite frankly asked, uh, but our paper forms, we have 10% that can't handle those. We need to handle that percentage differently, but for the vast majority, that can handle those, that's quite effective. So 
trying to look at the things you should always look at the full uh, population uh, but sometimes it's better to solve something for the majority and have a manual flow or alternative flow for the part which is uh, most complicated because if you try to focus on the most complicated first then the solution will be extremely um, complex and in, in extremely costly. So some of the success factors that we've learned about are firstly assessing how the entire process and flow can be reimagined not just automating the existing process. Secondly looking at the whole population of users but optimizing for the easy majority rather than a complex minority. And thirdly the importance of doing joint research and product development with customers. We also wanted to know what specifically to think about when automating processes and services in an environment as complex as the healthcare industry. What's been the like dominating way of thinking in all large B2B organizations uh, and complex environments? Well, uh, from large states to like large corporations, it's been like, let us be planning in five-year plans and then delivering on those goals um, and, and doing like some sort of, you know, this radical innovation, like some big bang initiative that we are working towards in, in a very long calendar term period. Um well, in some areas, maybe it works. In, in the area of digital health, I, I have a very hard time to see that it really works, this approach. Why? Well, there is quite high level of uncertainty what the future will look like. The, the speed of change is, is extreme at times. And you cannot really plan uh, with the uh, high level of detail uh, many steps ahead. Uh, and so you have then, if, if you still try to stick to, to this like planning uh, and, and, and large initiative uh, thing uh, approach, you know, you will either have to overscope and basically um, try to put under your umbrella everything, everything you can and, and say that you will solve it all. And then on the way, uh, have to scale down. Uh, and make a lot of people disappointed and start maybe with uh, separate initiatives later. So you've lost already time. Uh, or you're being very stubborn and say, no, I will solve it all according to this uh, five, seven, 10 years old specification. What do you get 10 years later when you release? Is it something up to date or is it something totally outdated? Uh, and um, And the thing is like... <laughs> This this more iterative like um, uh, way way of working like that Christensen is uh, is uh, um, uh, advocating and the whole like lean startup uh, methodology that's a lot of planning also but you are planning on totally different uh, parameters you are planning for uncertainty you are play planning for iterating you are planning for gathering insights you are not planning for the concrete specification you are way forward and plan forward is to figure out the problem I'm trying to solve and the best way to do that. Uh, 
and, and scoping the solutions for that. And, and this mindset is really, really hard to, to, to change to in the large organizations that actually streamline their organization and processes to work in a certain way. You know, you, you see that you can have a genius product or service, but it changes the whole workflow. So it becomes a change management piece. Arguably, you can only get the full um, potential from AI and automation if you're actually changing the organization. Have you seen anyone, any success cases where, where that's happened? I wouldn't say that I've seen it on um, organization level. If you look at the large, um, they, they all have initiatives uh, trying to address it, uh, but uh, often quite rigid and uh, slow moving. Uh, on individual clinic level, uh, I would say that we see uh, examples every day. Uh, we have one customer, Leris, uh, who's within specialty care. Uh, they um, have uh, a clinic around sleep apnea, apne. um, uh, and uh, a year ago they had 8,000 people in queue. And what they did was, uh, one part was using our platform, uh, but it was on, not only that, they also resort their uh, process. They uh, had, uh, there is a certain type of measurement that you are doing at home. So they re, uh, restructured that uh, met, measurement um, uh, tool was sent out automatically to the patient first before the first contact uh, and a nov- n- number of other steps. So they, they, they looked at the complete process and resort it, and then they used the technologies to enable the rethinking. Uh, and during one year, they have uh, removed the complete queue of 8,000. Uh, and I don't know how much you followed the uh, discussions in different countries. Uh, the queues in healthcare are um, a big discussion and after the pandemic they are even worse than before uh, so without adding more people uh, which often is uh, the go-to solution more people and more money they uh, resort the process and let the patient do more um, uh, to uh, be quicker so today it's less than two weeks from that you are referred to the clinic until you have the first contact uh, before it was uh, half a year or something or even longer uh, so um, uh, that that's just one example but we we see those examples um, often uh, with our clients but uh, not so much on system perspective but more on uh, clinical perspective um, and not uh, as broad as we would like it. Uh, there is so much technology out there which can be used today, um, plug and play, if you're just willing to uh, look at it. What is it about those, if you were to try and identify what it is about those organizations or the people at those organizations. You, you need to have courage and uh, um, trust in the organization that you can fail. Uh, you need to have uh, time 
to look at your complete work uh, process and often also maybe include other departments included in the same treatment of the patient. Um, and uh, having the competences or abilities around digital or what's possible. You don't need to know the details, but uh, uh, you, you should know what is readily available and what effects that that uh, create and how can we use it in our context. Hmm. Yeah, uh, that's that's definitely the the situation that's been and and a little bit uh, like uh, also summarizing that it, it's been really bottom up um, and uh, it, it's been relying on those uh, um, you know heroes in the field that are ready to sacrifice their own time and 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 uh, uh, do little extra of the things even though it's not required from them but just they see the problem and they also. Uh, this technology thing that they don't have this barrier to technology they maybe don't need that extra it support they can figure out things themselves uh and then that you have those like islands where where you 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 have then all those initial nursery competences in in one two individuals then they probably have like some uh sponsor higher up in the organization not too high up because it's not the systematic way but some like uh, um closest um manager yeah exactly uh, that that is allowing you actually giving you the freedom for these experimentation and uh, there is like some sort of trust between those individuals to drive those efforts uh, there, there is no way that somewhere high up in the IT organization will be having uh, 100% or 50% even understanding of the of the uh, infield work for the healthcare professionals. So you cannot remove them from the uh, equation. You need to make sure that to, to start working systematically with that innovation, you need to make sure that you're working on all levels from top, from, from bottom top. You need to be creating right incentives, right framework right uh, space for the people to work and deliver on on the results on all levels uh, up until now we've been seeing uh, as we said like bottom like to the middle but we need to cover the whole uh, hierarchy of the organization and right uh, um, right things being in place to do it in a systematic way it seems that some of the most impactful automation often comes from a handful of enthusiastic and committed people driving innovation from the bottom up. Therefore, a key tactic for an organization who wants to transform through AI and automation should include looking at how to support these transformation heroes. This comes down to a mindset and culture as much as access to technology and money. Before we leave Anastasia and Peter, we ask them, what are their fears for the coming years? And what are they really excited about? In five years, um, uh, my hope is that uh, we actually have come quite far in uh, automating by letting the patient do more, uh, the patients that can. Uh, it could be a lot of different things, but uh, I think uh, the pandemic has shown us that uh, the majority of patients or uh, inhabitants, they, they can take a simple test themselves. Um, uh, they can fill in a questionnaire. They they can uh, be quite good in knowing that uh, I don't need a frequent um, 
meeting time slot. I, if I just have the contact channel, I can talk contact when I uh, feel worse. Uh, some uh, patients will contact more often, but the majority will contact more seldom. So in the end, you will use less resources. So letting the patient do more. We often forget that that has been one of the most important automations enabled by technology uh, within other industries. My biggest worry is actually that nothing of this will happen at scale uh, because then we as a society will be in really, really bad uh, situation because we are uh, in a situation where more people are growing older and will live with, with conditions um, a larger part of their life and we will have less workforce. Um, so if we don't do anything, uh, not everybody will be taken care of in the future. Uh, in the longer run, the system is surfacing the important things that the medical professions should look at. And as uh, one of uh, our customers is saying, would you in the future go to a doctor supported by AI or a doctor using the textbook, uh, which is 30 years old when he went to his education? Uh, and I think there, there is a lot in that. It's really hard not to like get emotional about strange prioritizations, you know, uh, when uh, people are getting too like technology nerdy or medicine nerdy. We can disregard that actually easier solutions, just opening up a digital channel will actually help us to reach those 500 children waiting in queue just for the first appointment. Like such things are being disregarded in certain parts of the organization because they don't really have the goals to help. Political decisions are influencing the whole thing very much and, and, and uh, the, the political agenda is being changed uh, every now and then. I think the, in the coming five years, we will be really uh, essentially freeing up time and freeing up focus and switching focus on what needs to be done and how in, in the healthcare organizations. We really want to, to change the healthcare system and organizations to patient-centric, to uh, proactive care from reactive, because today we are purely reactive uh, and, uh, and uh, uh, people really, you need to, to get really sick first to, to get really good care. That's hopefully not the way it is in 20 years. Um, I am really excited about making it better for all of us. Essentially, it's uh, it's taking care of uh, of of our relatives, friends, and us ourselves. Healthcare is definitely an area where there are a lot of challenges, as well as a lot going on in terms of AI and automation. We will definitely get back to this medical space in future episodes. For this time, thank you for listening. I'm David Griffith Jones with my co-host Jacob Magnall. We've included some links in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating, make a comment or share with a friend. As always, have a great day.